Uh, for those of you who are here at the very beginning, you heard Ashley mention this, but uh, her and I, Ashley is our worship leader here, I'm Anthony, I'm one of the associate pastors here. Her and I, along with our regular Sunday morning band, we were actually leading for our youth ministry. They're off on a retreat. Uh, they graciously let us come home last night to sleep in our own beds and get ready for church. But if you notice a void in the back where uh, there are usually about 20 to 25 more people, um, them and some others are on the retreat this weekend. And tonight's a very exciting day. Um, for, for those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, we opened up our brand new sanctuary. Uh, well, I say brand new. It's from 1901. But... Um, <laughs> brand new renovations to our sanctuary. We opened that back up a couple of weeks ago. And tonight is a very special night because our youth ministry will be opening back up um, a part of our church that's been under construction for several months. It's being repurposed. Uh, it was once a fellowship hall, then it was a kids ministry space. Now it's going to be an absolutely awesome youth ministry space. And uh, the youth are going to get to see that today. Um, for the very first time, so um, pray for that as you go about your Sunday business, that uh, that would be an awesome time tonight for them to encounter God in that space for the very first time. And then next week, just want to encourage you, uh, after church next week, we're going to open up the doors, uh, flip on all the cool lights and stuff like that, and let the church see it. We wanted the youth to have the first shot at it, so they're going to get to see it tonight, and then next week, we encourage you to slip down there on your way out to lunch and uh, just check out What's going on there? It, it really is a cool space. It's really turned out well, and I think our youth are going to love it. Um, I mentioned that for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, we, we gave the band the morning off um, because they've worked really hard this weekend, and they're going to be there again tonight. Uh, but also, um, I was realizing as I was praying for Ken that closing my eyes is not the best idea right now um, because we're a little tired, and so if, I, if you see me start to stumble a little bit, come help me. Um, just, just be there for me. And as Ashley was praying, um, you got to love when people get a little, a uh, little Pentecostal in the church service. Um, she prayed that um, God would speak and not me, and I heard a loud amen. And uh, I agree too um, that God would would just share in this time. Um, really want the message that God has on His heart to be what we hear today. And uh, about a week ago. There was something else on paper for what we were going to do today, um, and it didn't sit right. And so um, I was drawn to a story that you might have learned when you were a kid, um, the story of Zacchaeus. And uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All right, some of y'all know the story. Uh, we're going to start singing in a minute, just kidding. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he... He went up the sycamore tree, all that fun stuff. And Zacchaeus is kind of this folklore story within the Bible, but within the story of Zacchaeus, we have such incredible, and I mean incredible, truth that speaks to the mission of God and God's desire for all of us. And so I, I would say that there are several things within this story that just really speak to my heart, and I hope that they will speak to all of our hearts. I, I can really relate to this story and find myself within it. And I'm not saying that because I'm short, okay? I know Zacchaeus was short, and you might think I'm just trying to uh, root for the short guy. But this story deals with the way in which we see the world, 
I believe it deals with the way in which we see ourselves and the way we see others. And so I'm going to offer up a prayer. I'm not going to close my eyes, but I'm going to offer up a prayer, and we're going to go into the Scripture um, because I believe that it has a lot to say to us today. Lord, we lift up this time to you, and we ask that you would speak to us uh, in the same way that when Jesus walked this earth, he encountered a man named Zacchaeus and spoke truth into his life. And God, we ask that you would speak truth into our lives today. Help us to hear your word. Help us to experience your grace. Amen. Well, one of the reasons I think that we can really attach ourselves to this story is I think we all are kind of pre-wired to see the world in a certain way. Uh, And this is what I mean by that. When you watch a cartoon, it's not that hard for you to figure out who the hero is and who the villain is. There, there are little tips along the way that show you who the heroes and who the villains are. Also, when you would watch sitcoms, I remember watching a lot of sitcoms on the afternoons, and they were running on syndication reruns. And in all the sitcoms, whenever the bullies showed up, you could always tell his clothes were, were, were different looking. He had this kind of frown on his face. I, I say he, sometimes it was a she. Um, mean girls is a thing. And you could always tell this distinction between the hero and the villain. You could always tell this distinction between the good guys and the bad guys. And, and that transcends our understanding into the way that we see the world and the way that we interact with people. I remember going off to college, and I considered myself to be part of the good crowd. Um, How many of you were part of the good crowd in college? Um, Wow, like four of you. Um, The rest of y'all had a great time in college. Um, But it was easy for me, coming from a church background, to come in and say, I am a good person, and I'm doing this right, and this right, and this right, and to look around and to see different people that I could tell were not doing all the right things. I, it, it was a little harder to distinguish when I started off in school at Young Harris College because we, uh, we didn't have nightlife. We had the woods. Um, and so any uh, trouble you were going to get into took place off campus, away from everything. Then I went to the University of Georgia, and it was just like, it was really easy to spot. Um, you just opened your eyes, and there it was. But we, we have these barriers that we put up between the good and the bad. We have these barriers that we put up even with different degrees of the good and the bad. We have the, the really good, the really pious. We have the, you know, pretty good. You know, they make mistakes from time to time, but for the most part, they're, they're showing up to church. They're doing all the right things in society that you would expect of people. And then you kind of have people who are kind of medium. It's like, ah, oh, well, there's hope for them, but they're not as bad as some others. And then we have bad people. It's like, oh, gosh, just pray for him. You know, you, you know the kind of people we're talking about. And then you have those that you look at and you go, those are the worst of the worst I'm not sure there's even any point of reaching out to them because they are too far gone. There can't possibly be any hope for them. And we create these barriers, and within these barriers, what happens within us is we start to justify ourselves. We start to see the world through these lenses of the good people, the mostly good people, 
and the bad people and the really bad people. And we, we see the world in that way, and it, it causes us to put up these walls. It causes us to see the world in a certain kind of way in which we can't always understand who's who, and more importantly, we can't understand exactly how God might see us and see them. And Zacchaeus is one of those guys who would fall in the really, really bad category. He was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. Now, um, we all have certain comments that we make about the IRS. Um, We have probably more comments we make about the IRS this time of year. Um, And especially if uh, TurboTax is doing some weird things and you're like, where are we going to find that money? But as we look at the, the New Testament tax collector, these people were, were you, you take how you feel about the IRS when you're frustrated with how, many, how much you have to pay in taxes, and you just multiply that. Because not only was there a tax place on people, the tax collectors, those who would come and actually collect it door-to-door from people, what they would do is they would add their own interest to it. And so they built their own wealth. They built their, essentially their own empires from taking from people what was rightfully theirs and taking more than they were supposed to so that they could become rich off of it. And the people didn't have a choice. And generally, these tax collectors would be Jewish people working for the Roman government. And to be a chief tax collector in a place like Jericho, which is where this story takes place, Um, meant that you were a pretty prestigious guy and everybody knew who you were and everybody knew that you fell in that really bad category. And so we're going to jump into the story with that in mind. And uh, guys in the back, what we're going to do is we're going to go pretty much verse by verse on this. This is not going to be your typical sermon. This is going to be a little bit of Bible study with Luke chapter 19. So if you've got your bulletins, the Scripture is printed there. There are lines where you can take notes, and I invite you to follow along. If you've got your own Bible, you're welcome to follow along in that. We'll be using the uh, New International NIV version uh, up on the screens. All right, the first verse begins this way. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, okay? Okay, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, at first sight, You might think to yourself, okay, Luke is just giving some context. He's just saying, okay, this is where Jesus is on his journey. We know that Jesus is going towards Jerusalem. We started with that last week. Jesus is making the journey towards Jerusalem. I believe Jericho was about seven miles away. So he's getting close. All right, on the one hand, you might say he's saying it's Jericho because Jericho is just a landmark. But I believe that there's something a little bit more to why he says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. There's not really much reason to give that geographical context unless there's a point to it. Biblical writers will do these things. They will drop little hints within it. Now, who knows the story of Jericho? When you think of Jericho, what do you think of? Joshua. You think of Joshua. There's a great story in the book of Joshua in which Joshua leads God's people, and they march around the city of Jericho um, every single day, and then on the final day, they've got, 
I can't remember all the specific instructions, but they had specific instructions, march around the city in this way, and then blow the trumpets, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. The walls are going to come tumbling down. And it's within this story that that detail is actually pretty significant. Jesus entered Jericho, okay? Jesus entered the town where walls come down. So all the barriers that we talked about, all the barriers that we have where we divide people and we have people classified in different areas, we're in the town where walls were designed to come crashing down because God has a greater purpose than than those walls being up. And so as Jesus enters Jericho, keep that in mind. He is entering on a mission to tear down some walls. And this is how the story continues. Verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Verse 3, he wanted to see Jesus, wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now here's the part of this that I think is kind of interesting. We, it says that Zacchaeus was short, But generally, you can kind of, I I know this, I've been short my whole life. Um, Generally, as a short person, when you go to take a group picture, who goes to the front? The short people. When you're in a big crowd of people, who goes to the front? The short people. Why is he not able to see over the crowd? He's short, okay? Why didn't he just go to the front? Because he's a tax collector. They're probably not going to let him into the crowd, up to the front. And so he has no other option. There's a huge crowd gathered around to see this guy who has been transforming the entire region. And Zacchaeus is not very well liked, and so there's not going to be much, uh, excuse me, can I get through, excuse me, can I get through? They're going to look, probably down, see who he is, and they're going to say, no thank you. And they're going to kind of barricade him out. They're creating walls so that he can't see Jesus. So Zacchaeus, I commend the guy. He takes matters into his own hands, and he goes and he climbs a sycamore tree. Okay, And from that sycamore tree, he's able to see what is going on. Now here is where the story really gets interesting. Verse 5, Jesus reached the spot. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's not concerned with the barricade. He's not concerned with what category Zacchaeus falls into. He sees Zacchaeus and says, this is someone I need to have fellowship with, regardless of all of that. And I think sometimes when we make mistakes in our lives and we feel like we're over here in this really bad category, or maybe we're in the kind of bad category, we begin to think to ourselves, could God even love me? Could God even choose to reach out to me? I have created this barrier. I have created this wall. How could God move beyond that and still speak to me? And so, here's what we realize from this story. 
God is not concerned by those barriers that we have erected. God is not concerned. God calls out sinners and he welcomes them regardless of what category they fall into. We see this throughout the gospel. We see this every encounter Jesus has with someone who is of a sinful past, of a sinful profession, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, I want to have fellowship with you. And so naturally the people are concerned about keeping those walls intact. And it says in verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of God came to seek and to save the lost. And this is what we realize from this story. Is that Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. Who knows what they talked about at his house. Who knows what that experience was like. But it was profound enough that it changed Zacchaeus' attitude about who he was as a tax collector. He says, I'm not going to carry this burden of responsibility in that kind of way, building my own empire anymore. And it changed his attitude towards those that he had taken advantage of. When we encounter Jesus, it changes us. And here's what is probably most important in that. When we encounter Jesus and it changes us, it changes our standing with God. Because Jesus says in verse 9, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's no longer in this really bad category. Those that are cut off by a barrier, keeping them to the side, he's a child of God. He belongs to God. This uh, past week, I um, had a uh, tumultuous interview. And I, I bring this up not to brag, but because there was a really incredible lesson that I learned out of this experience. But on, on Tuesday, um, I had my interview for ordination. And um, some people have come up to me and they said, we thought you were already ordained. You've been a pastor here for a few years. And, and the Methodist Church has this kind of staggered system that you go through. Uh, I was provisionally ordained two years ago when I graduated seminary, and this was the full ordination. Um, Basically, provisional means I can do everything that a pastor can do, um, but it has to be within my church setting. Um, Full ordination means I can do anything that a pastor can do, regardless of where I am. And so uh, that that was kind of that final step in the process, and uh, they approved me. It was awesome. It was a great experience, and uh, I was blown away by um, how well it went, how, how smooth it was. But there, there was one category I had to interview in where they really um, kind of grinded on me a little bit. Um, they wanted to kind of push me a little bit just to make sure I was ready for what I was entering into. And it, it's a category called called and disciplined life. And what they do is they evaluate your call to ministry and they evaluate, um, are you living a lifestyle that will be sustainable in ministry? And this was a question that one of the guys in that group asked me. He said, 
What is your identity and what is your function? What is your identity and what is your function? Fortunately, I got this question right um, because I don't think I was passing if I didn't. Uh, I said, my identity is I am a child of God. And my function is I just happen to be a pastor. And he said, that's good. You got that right. He said, but when you wrote your paperwork and you were supposed to talk about in parts who are you, you wrote a lot about what you do. You wrote a lot about what you do instead of who you are. And I said, you know, I was just trying to answer the questions and I, I didn't really mean for that to come across. And he, he says, is that something you struggle with? I said, yeah, I struggle with that sometimes. I think we all struggle with what we do becoming who we are. And he said, he's like, we're, we're pushing you on this right now because that's not sustainable in your life. If you live according to what's my function in the world, you're never going to be sustained. The only thing that's going to sustain you is I am a child of God. I belong to God. And that is the experience that Zacchaeus had when he encountered Jesus was it wasn't just about who Zacchaeus was in this category over here. It was you are a child of God. You are a son of Abraham. And when we encounter God, when we experience God, that's when we hear that message. It's interesting that he had to run up a tree to see Jesus. Because I think so many of us spend our lives trying to do things so that we can see God. And my question for you is what's your tree? might be your function in life. It might be that you're, uh, we've got some high school football coaches and uh, they do great work with young people. Um, but if that becomes, if their function becomes their identity, they will never truly be fulfilled. We have medical professionals. My wife is a medical profession. And if that function overtakes their identity, they will never be fulfilled. We have business people uh, and they do great work in our community and they're, they're Businesses are, are awesome, but if that overtakes who they are, they will never be fulfilled. And I believe that what we experience when we put ourselves in the shoes of Zacchaeus is that we experience that when we encounter God, it changes us. It changes our attitude towards others. Um, and for us, it, it changes the way we stand in the eyes of God. Um, and it's not something that we can do on our own climbing whatever tree it is that we find. It's not anything that we can do fulfilling any function that we happen to have in life. The only thing that fulfills that is that promise that we belong to God. And Jesus says it in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. No matter where we are, no matter what barrier we are behind, Jesus came to save us. And because Jesus came to save us, we can encounter the living God. It's interesting that Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. 
Because as they went to the house, they certainly would have eaten together, as was a custom whenever you had guests in your house. Um, Jesus really doesn't seem concerned about etiquette. He might know himself. Um, You might know people like that. But Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. And they probably ate together and fellowshiped together. And this is why those people in the really good category were sitting there going, why is he eating with someone? Because when you eat with someone, it says, I welcome and accept you and approve of you as a person. Now, is Jesus approving of the lifestyle that he had? No. What he was approving of was not his function. He was approving of the fact that he belonged to God. He was approving of the fact that within him, even in this really bad category, that barrier comes down. And within who Zacchaeus is was someone that was sought out by Jesus Christ and saved. And they ate together. And Jesus approved of him, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. He belonged to the living God. And as we come to celebrate communion today, uh, that's the reason I think that this story was the right one for today is because at the table, Christ invites to this table everyone. It's an open table. And it doesn't matter which barrier wall you are behind. Christ invites to his table everyone. Because in the eyes of God, there is no good, kind of good, really bad, There are children of God that he so desperately came to seek out and to save. So as we come to the table this morning, I invite you to join me. Uh, Let's set our hearts on God. Let's prepare to celebrate at the Lord's table Christ fellowshipping with us as we worship together through the act of communion.